Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your host, Dodd Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the WTSP, your favorite World War II-based podcast. I can't believe I just trashed that. Let me try it again. Welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. Everybody's entitled to a mess up every now and then. Uh, unfortunately, Jeff cannot join us tonight because he's got to handle some things that was out of his control. But joining us, as always, the ever-fateful Mr. Henry Sledge. Henry, how are you doing tonight, sir? Hey, Don. Doing pretty good, man. Just trying to uh, kick the COVID here. Uh, welcome to the COVID club, fella. Yeah, I was starting to feel left out. Welcome also to the more elite group of, well, I was going to say broadcasters, but podcasters who've done episodes when their voice isn't tip-top, 100%, all in line, good shape. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't want to leave you holding the bag by yourself, so. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, and I would have just flipped a, a best-of episode on, but you know, I do greatly appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know, how is the COVID affecting you personally? Because you, you, Jeff, and I, we've all been talking, and we've all had it, right. and it's all affected us differently, depending on what strain you have and your immune system and whatnot. I have to say, for me, it's been about like a cold. Um, I have not had any fever. had some congestion. Um, I haven't really felt that bad, but, I mean, honestly, being in a house for a week with my son and my wife, who we were both COVID positive, and now they're out of it. Jack went back to school today. My wife's going back to work tomorrow, and she was out running errands today. So um, I finally popped on the test Saturday. So, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've definitely had cases of the flu that were incredibly worse than this, but, I mean, that, I don't say that to diminish – the severity of COVID because I'm a big believer in that, but yeah, um, I was going to say it's kind of, we're in this weird position where it's like, you got to be careful of how you describe your symptoms. Cause you don't exactly. want to affect other people who, cause I, I don't, well, I've had some elderly people who, who passed away, who had it, but I actually have a couple of customers who have employees who are a little older, who actually died quote unquote from COVID. But, um, right. Right. So you, you definitely don't want to, um, step on toes or offend people, but I was kind of the same way when I had it. Now there's no way of knowing, but I think I had the Delta variant because when Carrie had it, my old lady, she got the first variant and she mm -hmm. has lupus and fibromyalgia. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, lupus is a, um, autoimmune def uh, deficiency disease. Uh, basically her white right. blood cells attacks her body. And then lupus on top of that, I mean, uh, fibromyalgia on top of that is a nerve condition that basically makes it feel like your bones are being crushed with a vice grip. So right, right. someone who's been living with fibromyalgia and lupus and then gets uh, COVID on top of that, um, the version. So how did she come through it? Uh, she actually, it, it effed her up pretty bad. Um, not hospital wise, but. Once again, compounding the fact that she already has an autoimmune deficiency disease and a nervous disease that makes it feel like someone's crushing your bones or you have malaria, right. that was intensified. Um, she never got like pukey, had right. the, had the uh, you know undesirable stomach issues that we won't go into details, um, but she was a long hauler. She lost her sense of smell and taste for like, uh, the smell came, the taste came back, but she lost her sense of smell for like four months. Good grief. And when she first See, I had none of that. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have to deal with that. Me neither. With I think I got Delta. She had the first variant. Um, the strange thing is before she lost her smell, um, at first it went through stages where everything just smelled like an ashtray. Okay. And then I would say even worse than that, everything smelled like your clothes after you've been around a campfire all weekend. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she literally did the whole TikTok eat an onion challenge where she just peeled an onion and bit right into it and couldn't taste a thing. Good grief. Um, it took a while for that to come back. Um, mm -hmm. No, not to get into a touchy subject, but since she does have lupus, she actually had been prescribed hydroxychloroquine for years. And she didn't take it that often. And so we were uh, what I would jokingly call pandemic rich. We had like She had like 200 hydroxychloroquine sitting around. And so when she got COVID and... Um, Anytime I'd even get anything remotely as a sniffle, I would pop a, a 
Centrum Silver that had zinc in it, and he wanted her hydroxychloroquine just to, right. just to you know, ward it off. And I mm-hmm. made it through the first variant, didn't have a problem. I didn't get it. My daughter didn't get it. Carrie got it. She's a school teacher. Um, I often, you remember the old George Carlin joke about uh, polio? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. He said, you know, people in my neighborhood, we never got polio because we grew up swimming in the Hudson River. We were tempered in raw sewage. And I jokingly tell people that, that as we all know, behind every joke is some truth. Well, that joke kind of applies to me. Um, Mm -hmm. My grandmother, her family had a lot of property in Northern Kentucky. And after my grandfather came back from the war and her, that, you know, they were married before he left, they inherited a bunch of land and they had five acres down on the Ohio river. Now, for those of you who don't know, Ohio River is one of the only few freshwater rivers in the nation to ever catch fire due to pollution. Good grief. And so from the time I was born until like, I don't know, off and on through high school, because in second grade I moved to Ohio, but I would spend my summers with my mom. And depending on her relationship status with my grandmother, we either lived in the single wide trailer that had indoor plumbing and a cistern. Okay. And for those who don't know, a cistern is basically a concrete hole in the ground. You pay a water truck back in 1990, $60 to come fill it up full of water. And mm. you got to conserve your water. Hence the old phrase when it comes to the toilet, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down because you, you want to conserve your water. But if things weren't well, we stayed down in the cabin, quote unquote, that was built in the late 20s that had no indoor plumbing and had an outhouse. Oh. And we bathed in the Ohio River. And so I jokingly tell people, I don't get sick that often because I grew up bathing and swimming in the Ohio River. I, too, was tempered in raw sewage. So your immune system was highly conditioned from the earliest stages of your childhood. Yes. Before COVID ever came around, I was one of those cats that I never got sick. But if I do, it's long and hard because it's a mean-ass bug. And yeah, because so, it had to be to get you down in the first place. Yeah, and so I made it through the first realm pretty easily. And then somewhere when the Delta variant came out, um, I got it. I don't know. I, my daughter brought it home from school. She brought it home from the middle school, and then I got it. Mm-hmm. But much like you were saying, um, to me, um, never broke a fever, never vomited. Um, I did get tired, but... Um, for me personally, my body felt like I just did a savage race. You kind of feel like somebody beat you with a two by four. Your ribs kind of mm-hmm. hurt, your back hurts, all your muscles are just sore and stiff. And I noticed when I was laying in bed trying to sleep that my skin had a slight tint as if I had a light sunburn. So like when your blankets are on you, it's just a little, not like real bad, just a slight discomfort. Uh-huh. And kind of like you and I were saying, you want to be careful how you describe this, but me personally, I told Carrie and my brother's like, you know, if the social responsible thing wasn't to stay home, I could have easily worked through mine. But then mm-hmm. again, I'm the same guy who went to work the next day after spending six, uh, eight hours in the hospital, pass, trying to pass two kidney stones that never passed. And so oh, I God. suffered through work um, on pain pills and carrying a sifter around all the bathroom for three days until I passed kidney stones. So uh, that's the way I am. But yeah, it's just, it's weird COVID. It's just how it, how it affects people. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, Andrea's had some past health issues, which are all good now, as we've talked about in the past, but I was a little, I was a little concerned for her. She finally tested positive toward the end of the week and then kind of like went off a, a cliff on Friday. And, uh, that's when you're just like, okay, how, you know, if she's in a decline, how bad is she going to feel? How far mm-hmm. will this go? And by then, my son was already pulling up out of it. Yeah. Um, so, fortunately, Saturday, she seemed to be doing better. And then Sunday was even better on top of that. So, um, you know, I, I think all things considered, we're very blessed. But, I mean, I and, and I can work from home. That's a good thing. I have that option. But um, I called the office today, and we were we were talking about the positive test and the symptoms and, and they were like, okay, well you can probably come back Thursday and, and wear a mask. And I'm like, fine, I'll wear a mask for five days. I'm perfectly happy to do that. I mean, I'm, it is nice to work from home and have that option, but, um, man, you're just, I'm just ready to just get back in the groove and have that normalcy. That's it drives me crazy. Not having that. I got lucky quote unquote that mine fell during a, one of the government holidays, like nothing that you get together with your family, but one of those, oh, we got Monday off and 
me as somebody who owns my own business and we'll get to the world war two stuff here momentarily, but you know, we don't all have to be all business all the time or audience get, get to know us. Um, but as somebody who runs a business, um, for whatever reason in the computer world, unless somebody has emergency, things are always slow the week before a four day weekend. Sure. Customers are planning their trip out of town, whatever. And so I got sick the week leading into a four day weekend. And so the few calls I got, I was able to manage remotely. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I basically slept for that four days. And then the following week, I was able to handle a few remotely and then send my dad out yeah. to the jobs that I couldn't physically go to. But yeah, I got pretty lucky that mine fell. And then obviously the next weekend, so put the seven and seven plus those, you know, those weekends, you know, that's 14 days there. So I was able to skirt through it pretty well. Luckily, I wasn't super busy. And, right. Um, able to get through all right but yeah hopefully you know one thing nice quote unquote nice i guess i should say um it seems like every time a new variant comes out it gets weaker and weaker and i've noticed that so hopefully with the things wearing itself out or one would one would wish yeah so hopefully by time the (laughs) have you seen the memes that talk about the the variants how the initials are a D- I have not. I can o. only imagine. Well, no. Basically, you have the Alpha, the Delta, the Omicron, and then the new one. Basically, if they name the next one F, it's going to spell Adolf. But anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, what I'm getting to those. Hopefully, as Great. these things keep getting weaker, in two years from now, it's just going to be like the cold. You're going to get the cold, the flu, or COVID. One of the three. But yeah. Um, Here's a little interesting thing, and I wish I had screen share up, and um, I don't know if I could send you a link, but anyhow. Um, I found a little article interesting a while back. It's called Not Army. This is on Sandbox.com. The unique weapons the Marines got stuck with in the Pacific. Oh, man. And as we know, when they landed in Guadalcanal, the M1 Garen hadn't been. And I'm going to fast forward through all the editorializing and all blah, blah, blah. Number one, are you familiar with the M1941 Johnson rifle? I have heard of it, but now can I tell you anything about it? I, I cannot, but I have heard of it. Um, for those of you playing along at home or on the live stream, pull out your phone and pull up Google and Google the 1941 Johnson rifle. This thing is ugly as all get out. It looks a lot like an M1 carbine, very similar stock, but the cartridge ejection on it is in a weird area it's got a weird sight on it it has the um it has the uh barrel cooling fin similar to the uh trench gun melvin johnson was um melvin johnson was interested interesting fellow with lots of roles he was a lawyer a marine corps officer and a firearm designer it seems appropriate that the m1941 johnson rifle became one of the most unique weapons of choice by our beloved marine corps the Marines wanted a fast-firing rifle that could outpace the M1903 bolt action, but the M1 Grand were tough to come by at the time because, well, the Army got them all. Sure. The M19, I'm sorry, the M, the M1941 Johnson rifle offered semi-automatic weapon that utilized a short recoil system in which the barrel and bolt moved for uh, rearward together. Mm-hmm. It's an odd but effective setup. It was so effective, in fact, that while the M1941 Johnson rifle may have been the stand-in for the M1 Garand, some actually considered it to be a better all-around rifle. The weapon featured a 10-round rotary magazine that could be reloaded with five rounds of M19 using an M1903 stripper clip. So that's kind of cool. So you can you know, have the, the stripper clips in your M1 belt and then quickly use it to reload the, um, the drum mag. Unlike uh-huh. the M1 Gar- Garin, the fixed magazine could be topped off and refilled at any time, even when the round is chambered and loaded. However, the downside included the short recoil operation that caused malfunctions with a mounted bayonet as well as increased muzzle raise. Uh, the M1941 Johnson rifle served with the Raiders, Paramarines, and then the hands of Medal of Honor recipient Robert Hugo Dunlap for his actions on Iwo Jima. The M1941 rifle served its country well, but never became the mainstream service rifle, as well as these unique weapons um, go, the Johnson made a big impression. Now, we're all familiar with the um, M50 and M55 wrestling, so we won't really get into that too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Here's another Johnson. The light machine gun M1941 Johnson light machine gun. 
This thing has a side-loaded uh, banana clip, kind of like the right. Japanese machine gun. Another mm-hmm. creation of Melvin Johnson was the 1941 Johnson light machine gun, which shared numerous parts with the aforementioned Johnson rifle. The light machine gun variant also served with the first special service forces as an automatic rifle. The M1941 Johnson light machine gun offered a lighter, more accurate light machine gun platform than it did with the competing Browning automatic rifle. Paramarine Raiders were no stranger to the unique weapon, and the Johnson light machine gun might have been one of the best at the time. It allowed users to adjust the gas system as they desired from 200 to 600 rounds per minute. Uh, shooters could use semi-automatic and automatic configurations, so kind of like the modern-day M16s, you can switch between semi-automatic and fully automatic. Closed right. bolt functions for semi-automatic and open bolt for automatic fire. Now, we here using modern-day firearms, closed bolt is the way to go. I remember when I was out in Texas at the museum and I was participating in their living history event, they allowed me to use their authentic Browning automatic rifle, which was an open bolt system. My first open bolt system ever used. And it's just so counterintuitive. You just, from using modern day weapons and even the M1 Garand, when the bolts open, nothing happens. But in this case, when the bolts open, it's ready to rock and roll. And you got to get your mind wrapped around that. But it also seems counterintuitive to have an open bolt system, especially in sandy environments like the Pacific. You just figure you're destined to get gunk and crap in there. Of course. Let's see. You want something that's as maintenance-free as possible or as easy to maintain. The side-loading magazines are awkward but effective. The single-stack magazine necess- uh, sorry, necessitated it due to its long overall length. If it was placed under the gun, it would be too long for someone to be in the prone position and shoot accurately. Additionally, the side-loading was easier on the magazine, and side-mounted magazines help reduce weight and length although this uh, predictably makes the weapon more unbalanced. I'm sorry, predictably makes the weapon more unbalanced. And, um, you know, it's funny. They have an entire article about the weapons that the Marine Corps was stuck with, but they only listed three, <laughs> which we already knew about the wrestling. But, yeah, basically the Johnson rifle, which I had never seen or heard of either one of them until finding this article. What? So what was the story on the rising? I mean, I can picture that. Didn't it have the – it had the – Muzzle cover that had the perforations on it and short and stubby. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to picture that. I just closed that story, but hold on. I'll pull it up. I'll just pull up the wiki on it. Um, the M50 Raising, let's uh, see, the submachine gun was manufactured by Harrington and Richard Arms Company in Worcester, uh, Massachusetts, yada, yada, yada. Um, innovative at its time in comparison to the main rival, the famous Thompson Model 1928 submachine gun. It possessed similar firepower, better accuracy, Excellent and balanced, lightweight, plus a much lower cost, which is probably key. Um, much lower cost and greater ease of manufacturing. When you look at it, it's basically 83% of this thing's wooden stock. The mm-hmm. barrel comes out just past the end of the foregrip. And, right. it, you know, and it all comes. The barrel looks a little similar to the Thompson. It has the cooling fins on it. But it's just, it's, it's shorter, it's lighter, and cheaper. Who was supposed to carry that weapon? Uh, let's see here. Search the firearms. Johnson, yada, yada. Laser. You said it was 50 caliber? Um, no, that was the model. Um, it's actually 1940 length cartridge. It's 45 ACP. Okay. That's interesting. It has a 45 ACP in the M50, and M55, and the M60. And then at some point when they came out the M65, they put 22 long rifle, which is weird. I don't know what year that would have came out. I don't um, know. No idea. So machine, uh, I'm trying to figure out. Um, let's see, USC, USMC deployment. Uh, the Riesling entered military. I'm sure people are listening saying, that's not how you pronounce it. Uh, the Riesling entered military <laughs> service <laughs> primarily because the uh, uncertainty in supply and sufficient quantities of the Thompson submachine gun. Testing stages. Um, this was, had a better stock fit and indicated closed bolt delayed blowback design. Most submachine guns fire from the open bolt position, meaning the full mass of the bolt slammed forward, yada, yada, yada. As we mentioned previously, cleaner. Um, I think basically it would be used by the same people who would have been issued a submachine gun. Um, okay. yeah, I mean, yeah, a Thompson said it was, su- it was supposed to supplant supplies of the 
the Thompson. Yeah, so the same infantry people, you know, your your mortar men, maybe um, you know, someone accompanying a light machine gun or a rifle infantry group, but yeah, it was basically used to um in the in the replacement of the Thompson submachine gun. Yeah. Post World War Two, okay, um so it looks like post World War Two is when they made the, the twenty two long rifle version. Oh, the good old days when you could just buy a submachine gun from Sears <laughs> twenty two long yeah. rifle. And Go I, down to Western Auto and get an M one A one. Oh yeah. Speaking of the Marine Corps, here's another this one just came out of Military Times. And and let me know if you're are you familiar with the uh Samoan units that fought barefoot during World War II? They're called the Barefoot Marines. I am not, no. I wasn't either until an hour ago, and uh, it's got a great picture on here. During World War II, Poga Poga of uh, Tutalina was a lightly manned base in the Solomon Islands, vital to preserving communications between the United States, Australia, and New Zealand. Though the United States Navy was tasked with holding it, the 7th Marines were ordered to fortify the garrison, but they didn't do it alone. The Samoans were... I'm sorry, the Samoans, who were American nationals, would help the 7th defend uh, Tutulala, Tutulia, T-U-T-U-I-L-A-S. Tutulila? Sure. 52 square miles of mountainous and jungle terrain, according to the records from the National Park Service. Thus, the first Solomon Battalion Marine Corps Reserves was founded in 1941, and they didn't wear shoes. Cool thing is, they didn't wear pants either. <laughs> um... The 500-man reserve unit was patrolled and defended the beaches of Tutalia, became known as the Barefoot Marines. Their uniforms featured a uh, kilt-like khaki wraparound that was called the Lava Lava, with a Marine Corps insignia sewn on the lower end of, along with the rank. And they actually have a picture of one. It has the uh, private first-class chevron on it and a uh, EGA patch. It's very cool looking. I'll post this on the website. Uh, so the so these guys, this is Samoa, right? Yeah. Seventh Marines were in Samoa, which that actually makes sense because I'm reading Sherrod's book or Robert Sherrod's book, History of USMC Aviation World War Two. You know, he's covering the entire panoply of the Pacific War, of course, through the eyes of the aviation arm. But it it said so. It started talking about like when Vandegrift was getting ready for Guadalcanal. He, you know, like the everybody, every regiment was coming from a different place. And the seventh, it said the seventh was in Samoa, I believe. And they had to get the seventh Marines in with the first and, and the fifth, you know, because the seventh was in Samoa and they were, he was trying to marshal the entire division so they could sail and be ready for Guadalcanal. Can you see that? That picture I just shared? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that pretty cool? Uh, sadly, I think the zoom. Uh, okay, good. Well, we could, we've got screen share capability. Here, yeah, so but this, the problem this... is, um, for those of you at home, hold on. Whenever I screen share, OBS drops the zoom, um, so okay. you guys are getting a black screen. So I'm going to get rid of that real quick. So, but you can see they, the guys have M1 belts. They have um, khaki piss cutters on, mm -hmm. and then um, go back. Zoom. Ah, come on. Yeah, see, we did this once before on the our other podcast. And for some reason, when you switch back, OBS just has a black screen. So now I'm just trying to get the screen back up for it's like it blows its mind. Yeah, I'm trying to get the screen back up for the live audience. So um crap. But anyhow, yeah, they had a nice khaki uniform, um, piss cutter on, a white basic Marine Corps shirt. And um, that lava lava they they call it, and uh, an M one M one belt around their waist. Yep, I'm gonna have to just. Um, I'm sure those gentlemen served with pride and distinction. Oh, absolutely. Um, and for those at home, I'll just continue to read. During World War II, the Poga Poga on Tulali were lightly manned base in the Solomon Islands. Virtual. We already read all that. Uh, the Solomons, who were American nationals who helped the 7th defend to lose 52 square miles of mountainous jungle terrain. According, we already read that. Um, sorry, the 500-man reserve unit patrolled. Their uniforms featured a kilt-like um, wraparound called the Lava Lava, which had the Marine Corps insignia sent on the lower corner. Marine uniforms 
uh, are often appreciated for the history for refined simplicity, according to the National Museum of the Marine Corps. But it, when it comes to the uniforms of World War II era, it would be hard to find a more stripped-down, simplified essential than the 1st Somalian Battalion's Lava Lava uniforms. And um, i got to kill OBS real quick while we continue to do a show and relaunch it so that our, our YouTube audience can continue to uh, join us. It's just one of those weird glitches, and you would think OBS would have that sorted out. And not to get too much into weeds, but for those you playing at home wondering how all this works, is we use Zoom, and then we have a program called OBS, which then takes the Zoom meeting and streams it to people and sends it out over to the internet. And See, this is cool production stuff that I I actually – I mean, you've explained this before, but since I don't sit there and do it every day like you do, I just – you know, it doesn't resonate with me like it does with someone who does it every day. Yeah, and for some reason, what we're going to do... Oh, okay, we're back. And so, basically, we use OBS, I'm sorry, Zoom, and then I use a program called OBS, which imports the Zoom, and then it does a live stream to a website that we pay for called Restream.io. And then Restream.io is what allows us to stream to multiple platforms at one time. Otherwise, you'd only be able to stream to youtube or facebook but um, restream.io is actually what allows us to stream multiple platforms at one time but for some reason whenever i do the screen sharing and this has happened a few times on the uh, what's in your head podcast is once you kill the screen share obs mm -hmm. just has a black screen it doesn't go back to the zoom you try to re-import it but you actually have to kill the program and relaunch it which is in my okay. mind, a huge glitch in in the system. But anyhow, we are back up on YouTube and back streaming. Uh, do, 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 do. I had another story here. Uh, do, 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 do. Speaking of while we're in the Pacific and getting help from um, people who live in the area, Filipina civilians had more confirmed kills in World War II than most soldiers. Uh, the Pacific Theater World War II saw some of the most brutal fighting in any other war in any other time in American, in, I'm sorry, in human history. Nowhere was more apparent than the Philippines, where American and Filipino forces uh, fought uh, mercilessly throughout the initial Japanese invasion. Skip down a few paragraphs. It was during this year. Uh, this year's long insurgency that people of the Philippines showed their unquenchable spirit in fighting the Japanese invaders. The Japanese, quote, conquest was just the beginning of the fighting, not the end. Resistance in the Philippines only grew more and more over the years as the war dragged on. An estimated 260,000 Filipinos resisted, resistant fighters took up arms against the Japanese during World War II. And um, there's, here's one story you're probably familiar with. And Tal Colban, a school teacher named Naive, uh, sorry, Nice Fernandez, watched as Japanese troops forced her friends and families into submission by throwing scalding hot water on them. And then they came for her and her possessions because basically they removed um, all the indigenous people's rights to own property and they removed women's rights to have jobs and vote and be productive citizens. Mm -hmm. um, they stripped of her, of her rights to own business and thereafter. Uh, I'm sorry, and threatened to remove her students. Um, they really woke up a sleeping giant when they messed with Neves Fernandez. She decided she wasn't going to take this lying down, so she constructed, I would love to see this thing, she, construct, she constructed a makeshift shotgun out of a pipe and her bamboo knife and dressed in all black to ambush Japanese troops making their way across the countryside. For nearly two and a half years... She struck out on her own, often barefoot, to ambush and kill as many troops as she could, armed only with her bolo and her homemade shotgun. The dark attire and quiet movements earned her the nickname the Silent Killer. She would approach her enemies in the dark of night and cut their carotid arteries at the neck, killing them instantly. Fernandez, working in the kill zones of the Japanese soldiers, inspired the locals of Tacolban and eventually Tacloban and eventually Tacloban, yeah. Tacloban and eventually she was leading a guerrilla platoon of more than a hundred men. She went from teaching young students their reading and writing skills and set about teaching guerrilla fighters how to make silent kills. Within a year of starting her organizational uprising, Captain Fernandez 
um, had earned 10,000 peso bounty on her own head by the Imperial Japanese Army. If the Japanese were hoping uh, the fellow Filipinos would betray her, their hopes were in vain. Fernandez and her men continued their reign of terror throughout the area. In and around Tacolban, the, uh, they raided Japanese encampments, freed prisoners of war, liberated villages, and rescued, quote-unquote, comfort women used by the Japanese soldiers as sex slaves. And you've probably seen the photo. There's a fantastic photo of her with an M1 carbine over her shoulder, and she's demonstrating to a Marine how she would do it. And she actually has her head on his hand with her, her knife up to his throat. So you- Man, when you... When you bring up the Philippines, I mean, then it just so happens that I'm in the last hundred pages of Robert Sherrod's book on marine aviation, and and they are in the Philippines now, and that brings a lot of things to mind because, I mean, as much as I've read about the Pacific War, you know, it, it's 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 Guadalcanal and the Solomons and Bougainville and Cape Gloucester and of course Belo and Okinawa, and, you know, these iconic battles, and and I mean, the complexity the geographic complexity of the Philippines and what was involved logistically in coordinating all those amphibious assaults that Mm -hmm. had to be planned and timed and coordinated with aviation, logistics, shipping. I mean, the Philippines were like a theater into themselves, really. Have you ever heard of the book? It's called Rampage by James Scott. Um, I think you guys have brought it up on this show, but I have not read it. I haven't read it. I, I and well, we talked about it the night John McManus was with us because it, I brought it up to John. I'm like, you know, you, you talking about, and he said, yeah, third volume is going to go into Philippines and beyond. When then, of course, I would cover Okinawa in the spring of '45. But um, you know, I it just got me to thinking that 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 part of World War II, which was the really right before we pushed across the finish line. I really need to do more reading on that Mm -hmm. part and the Philippines. And I mean, the courage and the tenacity that the native Filipinos had, I mean, you know, you talk about James Scott's book rampage. I want to read it, but it's like McManus told us that night. It is not an easy read. I mean, because he goes into James Scott in that book goes into what the civilians dealt with from the Japanese who had occupied Manila and then so when the you Japanese say not an do. easy read, you mean mentally and um, spiritually. It deals with the atrocities. So, so yeah, much. spiritually, it's a rough sled. Yeah, yeah. It's emotionally, it yeah. is just a tough sled because he talks so much, as he should, sure, about the things the Japanese did to the Filipinos as we were pushing in and starting to retake Manila. And that's one of the things that, you know... <laughs> The beloved Thin Red Line. <laughs> That's one of the nice things about that movie that they, they showed was the native people around Guadalcanal who, you know, right. as we all know about uh, what, Major Zuza. I can't remember the rank he had. Jacob Vuza. Yeah, I can't remember the rank. V-O-U-Z-A, Jacob yep. Vuza. He's the one who had his throat slit and he ended yes. up swimming back. incredibly courageous man. And uh, all the, you know, the efforts and the contribution that they provided. Um, you know what would be, I don't know how you would make it consumable for the modern day moviegoer. I don't know if you'd have to do an independent version, but I don't know. Independent would be kind of hard. It would be interesting to, I guess you'd either have to get the diaries or do a lot of artistic licensing, mm-hmm. but it would be kind of interesting I don't know if do a short film or a full feature or maybe kind of do what Midway did and include it in the storyline. The Australian Coast Watchers, these guys who are living in the jungles in these freaking huts with radios right. and their and their binoculars, and they had the uh, the indigenous people helping you know count Japanese and relay messages. I would, right. I exactly. Would, it would be cool. Once again, I don't know if you could do a full feature on these guys, but if you were to include them into a midway style movie where you you have all these different things going on it would be kind of cool to have them reconstruct their living conditions of them sleeping in some moldy ass man-made tiki hut up in the mountains hiding from the japanese and all that stuff Certainly. and give them credit because anybody who's read any in-depth story on the pto as a campaign so much of our information about troop movements uh, planes, naval movements came from the Australian Coast Watchers. 
Oh yeah. And in Hollywood, they definitely don't get enough credit. If any, I can't tell you. Um, and I think out of all the books in my library, the most detailed tale telling of an Australian coast watcher is what Robert Leckie did with the helmet for my pillow. Cause mm-hmm. he, he did like a whole paragraph talking about the one who came down and he had all his crap on the back of a donkey and like went and was what? it Martin Clemens. I can't remember. I'd have to go back because Robert Leckie did a real good job of giving people nicknames. Yes. And so, um, he may have just referred to him like big red or something like that, but he, he, he did go into detail about the conversation he had with him and how he had his quote unquote Batman with him and all that stuff. And, but yeah, it'd be kind of cool to see them recreate the living conditions of some of these coast watchers. Well, think about, you know, think about what they were. I mean, imagine being one of those coast watchers up in the hills when the Japanese first started constructing the airfield on Guadalcanal. Yeah. And then you are trying to get word to U.S. forces that, okay, these guys are constructing an airfield. This is going to directly threaten the supply line with Australia, you know, so which, of course, that is what happened. And then, as we know, Guadalcanal became a major, almost a mini theater. And it's almost like you would have to be prepared to move your shelter to a new side of the island every time you do a major broadcast because they're basically, unless you kept your broadcast extremely short, they're going to try to figure out your location and come kill you. Oh, good Lord. Because it's not like, you know, he's broadcasting on an encrypted channel that no one hears. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, they're using code, but Japanese, obviously we know from the code talkers, the whole reason we came up with the whole Native American code talkers is because the Japanese were cracking every code we had prior to that. So Mm -hmm. So it's not like... There's there's an old video um, that was made back in the early 90s. I think it was called The Lost Fleet of Guadalcanal. And it was narrated, I think it was narrated by Stacy Keach, but um, having been made that long ago, they, it actually had Martin Clemens in. They wow. interviewed him and he talked about, you know, being up in the hills and, and trying to broadcast information when the Japanese first started really moving into Guadalcanal. Um, and they interviewed some of the local islanders as well. But, uh, I mean, you know, when you talk about Coast Watchers, Martin Clemens immediately comes to my mind. We have a phone call coming in. What's a scuttlebutt? Who's this? Hello? Can you hear us? Oh, my bad. You called the wrong number? No. Who's this? Hello? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We do, boy. Okay, we tried. I, I put the phone number on YouTube, and that's a risky run. I was really hoping that we actually had somebody wanted to talk to us. That would be the first time in a while. Uh, that, that might have been a Joe Biden press conference calling in right there. <laughs> I, think it, I think it most definitely was. <laughs> and since he brought the show to Screeching Holt, and you mentioned the Joe Biden press conference, we don't cover a lot of modern-day news on here. Yeah, we make every effort not to. <laughs> but I think this... Um, needs to be said um i don't know both my brother and i have been keeping i don't want to say heavy tabs on what's going on in the ukraine but we've definitely been keeping our ears open and um as of tonight i don't know if you've heard this um let me pull up my story again well new york post wants money um i had it up earlier um we'll just pull up the independent the united states puts eight thousand five hundred troops on alert as biden's uh referring plans for scenarios the pentagon has announced that it has placed as we just said 8,500 troops on heightened preparedness as the white house said is uh, refining any plans to find a solution to russia escalating tensions in the ukraine so long story short our talks with putin about uh, leaving the ukraine alone him's not happy about the idea of the ukraine possibly becoming a u.n uh, member It's gotten to the point now that we actually put 8,500 of our active military personnel on basically standby to get ready to move out. So this whole thing with Russia, it's kind of getting a little serious. Yeah, sounds like it. And what other people are a little concerned with is let's say we get kind of tied up in 
a fiasco with Russia and Ukraine, right? Let's say we start actually. And by the way, um, I think Great Britain has sent over some anti-missile defenses to the Ukraine. And uh, the UN's, you know, starting to help supply too. But there's people speculating, you know, if if this nonsense with the Ukraine jumps off and we really start allocating, allocating troops and equipment over there, if China decides that that's when they're going to jump off and uh, do whatever they want to do with Taiwan, that's going to put us in a really sticky wicket because we're not going to be able to do uh, in, let's say, intervene in both locations at the same time. Yeah, that, that could be problematic. I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. And then you got I, you got Putin saying that uh, if we don't stick our nose out of Venezuela and Cuba, it's almost like all the communist countries are kind of getting their all star team together. It's just getting a little a little crazy. Just something y'all might want to start keeping an eye well, out for. I mean, you know, do you not think that they're and I mean, Don, look, I, I have really tried to not get into political stuff because I'm pretty opinionated. Yeah. But do you not think that they're they're not noticing? what's going on in this country oh, and the kind of leadership we have. Um, and we'll change the subject real quick after this. Let me just make this statement. If you want some of this more controversial stuff, I, I save it for the What's Your Head podcast. But um, about two months ago, Nancy Pelosi was getting a press conference where she was talking about some of the bills they were trying to pass didn't meet the bird rule. I don't know the ins and outs of the bird rule, but there's a rule that bills have to meet the, the standards of the bird rule. If not... They have to wash the bill, basically make changes to it to make it comply with the bird rule. And that procedure is called the bird bath. And so Nancy Pelosi was giving a press conference trying to explain the bird rule and the bird bath. And it was the most incoherent. It made Biden look like a Jeopardy champion. And I said on my on that podcast, if you're in China, Russia, North Korea, anywhere else, and you're looking at an interview with Biden and Nancy Pelosi, you're like, did the Americans go down to the nearest retirement home and go to the Alzheimer ward and grab a husband and wife and just put them in office? Because that's what exactly what it looked like. It's so damn yep. embarrassing. But yeah, I digress and we'll move on. But yeah, yeah, let's just, get back on World War Two. But yeah, it's just um, the Ukraine stuff is just a little, a little crazy and a little, a little scary. Um, silent killer. Um, I, don't, I think it was last week or the week before. Jeff was talking about how he's kind of getting more into the role i'm sorry my daughter's pointing at me i'm live on what's up what's up uh, you pointing at your phone doesn't help me what's open the door and talk to me what's up i'm not sorry ladies and gentlemen she wants to interview uh, interrupt the show for me to turn on her xbox oh <laughs> that now okay this is important <laughs> stuff Got to be taken care of. But anyhow, Jeff was talking like a week ago. Now that he's getting into more of the reenacting side, he was wanting to work on important things like pocket trash. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Like what would a guy, a typical guy, you know, what was contents of his pockets be, right? Yeah. Well, mentioning that. And I jokingly said, well, the only thing you really need when it comes to utensils is just a spoon because most of the guys threw their knives and fork away and – and there's actually some cool photos. You'll see cats who have their spoon, like in the, the string of their leggings and things like that. But um, one of the things that I was just up in Georgia last weekend, and it was kind of cool, and I've had this happen at a few events. And if you're organizing events or you're um, in a leadership role in an event, and you want to, if it's like a weekend long thing, not just one day, and you want to make it kind of um, more spontaneous and fun. What some of the uh, people have done, and, and you see in my helmet here, I got some envelopes, in which, by the way, it's amazing how well envelopes hang out in your liner. But at the Georgia event, we had mail call, which I wasn't expecting. And a lot of the guys will actually go and type up fake letters. And they're anything from Dear John letters to I love you to I think uh, one guy got a bill from the electric company last week. But um, I actually got a letter and, and got myself a nice photograph here of my quote-unquote girlfriend from 1943 to uh, put my nice. liner. And it's just funny, you know, I won't go into it. but Good-looking broad, Buck. Yeah, and so there's a whole letter here about, you know, how they miss me and um, when I'm coming back. I've seen letters before where um, it turns out that you're – your baby turns out to be your brothers and just, just funny, interesting things like that. So um, it's 
if you're an organizer or somebody putting together an event, something fun to do is just type up. Because, eh, you know, back then, and they, they wrote these in cursive and then copied them, so they made multiple letters. That, you know, so you're not writing 300 different letters. You can write 50 of them and just make duplicates. But stuff like that's fun. Um, there's plenty of people out there who make reproduction cigarette packs because there's a lot of cats who don't smoke. Um, your um, different letters and and uh, K ration packages and all that stuff. And so, you know, it's funny. Every once in a while, I'll put on a uniform, I ain't worn a while, and I'll find quote unquote pocket trash in there. And I actually found a zippo that way. I I have a black crackle zippo that I take to events, and because believe it or not, I actually do smoke non-filter lucky strikes at events i don't smoke in my mm. normal life i smoke at reenactments and go back to work on monday and i don't smoke again till the next event but i couldn't find my zippo and so i ordered another one off amazon and then like three events later i pulled out a uniform i hadn't worn for events and the zippo lighter was in the pocket so now i have two of them so is it period correct Don? yeah it's, it's called black crackle and it's basically it's it's black and textured so it's not the the silver shiny one Mm-hmm. And after a while, it gets nice and smooth. But yeah, so, you know, pocket trash is a good thing. Um, a lot of cats will do the thing where they find old photos and they'll put them in their helmets. And, right. Um, especially if, like, you're doing airborne or you're wearing a, the pockets with cargo pants, you want those cargo po- pants to be packed full because, you know, you're out in the field, you would have all your belongings in there. Right. And now, obviously, if you're just doing an event, you're not going to be digging through your pockets in front of the crowd. You can just do what a lot of cats do and just tear up old T-shirts and just stuff them in there to give them that bulky look. Right. And it's um, it's a lot more comfortable that way. But uh, um, I want to, before I ask you what else you have going on, I want to do a little quick mail call. Shout out to Mark Kirkman. He reached out to us on Facebook. said, hey, I just discovered your podcast today. And so far, and so far he loves it. <laughs> you could hate it now, but at the time, so far he loved it. Um, if I may be so bold, I'd like to suggest a book and an author to interview. Um, I am friends with Chris J. Hartley, who has written several Civil War books, but also recently just put one out about World War II. And I personally believe every North Carolina high school student should read it. Here is this Facebook page. And then I said, thanks so much. We'll look into that. Um I'm sure I trust you can put in contact if we want to set up an interview. By the way, how did you, if you don't mind me asking, how did you hear about us? And he said, I heard Henry being interviewed on Angus's World War II podcast. And when at the end he mentioned this podcast, I looked it up and saw, saw you recently interviewed John C. McManus, and I love his stuff. So I downloaded a couple episodes and I listened to them on my way to the office. Yeah, see, I, I told you that I put in a plug for our show when yep. I was on Angus's World War II podcast. And so um, we have a nice conversation going on him. So thank you so much for tracking us down. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, we had someone else. Oh, yeah. Um, and David Hodges, we haven't um, overlooked your message. Um, this was sent back in December. I had made a comment. Listen to your most recent episode. Love the show. I heard you mention that you all need a producer for the show. I have 10 years background in radio and be happy to assist you in any way I can. I do live in North Carolina. Hope that wouldn't be an issue. Um, David, it's not that um, I've forgotten about you or blew it off. I'm just trying to think logistically. I was a, I worked in radio for six years myself, and I was, in fact, a radio show producer. And so I know what you would be required to do. And I'm just trying to figure out how you and I and Jeff and Henry can communicate during a live show without it going out over there and being distracting. So I'm trying to come up with the logistical ways, whether we do it through a, a chat app that I can have on my, on my computer that you can send us research in real time. So I'm just trying to think out logistically how we would be able to accommodate that and be productive doing that remotely and it not mm-hmm. ir- interfering with the show. Cause obviously we can't be, hold on a second. Let me see. You know, so once I figure that out, I will send you a message and we'll definitely look into it. Um, and since you have, um, radio skills, you're probably pretty good with Adobe audition, which would work great uh, when it comes to producing more audio clips. And, um, speaking of audio clips, we haven't played one of these in a while. And uh, here's my favorite one. So, uh, yeah, we'll do this one. I don't know, said the driver. I just bring it up. We cursed and began unloading the ammo as fast as possible. We had expected the water to be in several five-gallon cans, 
each of which weighed a little more than 40 pounds. We worked as rapidly as possible, but then we heard that inevitable and deadly <laughs> Three big mortar shells exploded, one after the other, not far from us. Uh-oh, the stuff's hit the fan now, groaned one of my buddies. Bear a hand, you guys, on the double, said our NCO. Look, you guys, I'm going to have to get this tractor the hell out of here. If it gets knocked out and it's my fault, the lieutenant will have my can in a crack, groaned the driver. We had no gripe with the driver, and we didn't blame him. The Amtrak drivers on Peleliu were praised by everyone for doing such a fine job. Their bravery and sense of responsibility were above question. We worked like beavers, as our NCO said to him, I'm sorry, old buddy, but if we don't get these supplies unloaded, it's our ass. Mechanical engineer Richard James invented this product by accident in 1943 while working to devise springs that could keep sensitive ship equipment steady at sea. After accidentally knocking some samples off the shelf, he watched in amazement as they gracefully walked down instead of falling. Along with his wife Betty, James developed a plan to turn this invention into the next big novelty toy. Betty combed the dictionary looking for an appropriate name while James designed a machine to coil 80 feet of wire into a 2-inch spiral. The couple then borrowed $500 to manufacture the first version of their new toy. Initial sales proved sluggish, but soared after Gimbel's department store in Philadelphia allowed a demonstration for Christmas in 1945. The first 400 slinkies sold within minutes. An advertisement with a memorable jingle familiarized the national customer base. What walks downstairs alone or in pairs and makes the slinky sound. A spring, a spring, a marvelous thing, everyone knows it's a slinky. Slinkies glided effortlessly downstairs on television. But alas, most household steps provided too tall and too wide for long descents. Still, at the end of the 20th century, and 250 million slinkies later, people continue to buy them today. And let's not forget, if you're my age or you're a little bit younger and you're a fan of the Ren and Stimpy show, without the Slinky, we wouldn't have the parody of that commercial, Log. What rolls downstairs alone and in pairs, it runs over your neighbor's dog. It's great for a snack. It fits on your back. It's log, log, log. Log, log, log. It's big. It's heavy. It's wood. Log, log, log. It's better than bad. It's good. Come in and get your log. Everybody wants your log. by Blamo. You know, it's amazing how many little minor inventions came out of World War II. Yeah, no kidding. Um, back when I used to sell TVs, on uh, projection screens were the the new fad, and people started getting surround sound spe- speaker systems. A lot of people would get the low, the low price ones where the speakers weren't magnetically shielded. So what would happen? It'd get too close to the screen, and it would put color blobs in the corner. And then you would have to get a degaussing wand, which would basically pull the color and fix mm-hmm. your screen. Apparently, okay. degaussing came out of the Navy in World War II. Um, they use that same degaussing technology to basically prevent magnetic underwater mines from sticking to ships. So that's kind of where that technology came from. You got anything else on your list, uh, Henry, that you want to get into? I mean, as far as just general discussion? Sure. Or? General discussion. we got a few minutes to kill here. No, I think I'm, I'm trying to decide... You know, I decide one thing I thought it's still cold. Typically, I would still be reading on ETO stuff, but I've got so many PTO books I want to be getting into. I just I just went ahead and dove headlong back into it, starting with Sherrod's book on aviation. But I'll I'll finish that in the next couple of days. I'm thinking about rereading John Parcel's book on Midway, you know, since I got the movie for Christmas and we talked about it and expressed our our uh individual love for the movie the 2019 movie i'm I'm thinking i want to read parcel's book on midway again um i'm probably going to dive back into one of the samuel elliott morrison books probably uh coral sea midway and then breaking the bismarck's barrier those are two that are i'm thinking about um so you know i'm always thinking about what my next book to read is going to be yeah i'm about a quarter of the way through pelu tragic triumph um, oh yeah, Bill Ross. Yep. For the casual readers, on, uh, listeners on here who are uh, just dipping their toe into getting a more PTO 
we you know we often bring up with the old breed and aforementioned helmet with my pillow um i don't think i we bring up enough you'll be sorry by sid phillips that's a great read that yeah. is a very good book and I, out of all the books i read he's the one that educated me on the fact that when you joined the marines and you went to boot camp you made 20 dollars a month but on the first day they gave you a bucket some toiletries and uniform and an invoice for $25. So as soon as you join the Marines, you're already $25 in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, your first check was gone and $5 out of your second check was gone because you had to pay for your own gear, which uh, apparently when it comes to the Class A uniforms nowadays, um, that's still the still the, uh, still the case. Is that the norm? They pay for their own? I, I would assume they do. Uh, yeah, because uh, as we know, the Army just brought back in the pink and greens, and I'm seeing some comments and videos where service personnel are like, these jackets are super expensive. And I'm like, think that's mm -hmm. a reenactor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we buy the same ones because, you know, they're they're based off the World War II ones. But, yeah, when you, you get a sticker shock and you're looking at a $230 jacket, let alone the, the trousers. So, yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. To, so to um, reaffirm what you just said about Sid's book, great book, great man. I mean, Sid was a wonderful guy. You know, I have some, as I think I told you and Jeff, when you guys had me on as a guest before you asked me to join you as a co-host, I mean, I had some pretty early childhood memories of, of meeting Sid as a kid, you know. Just watching him in interviews he just seems like the dictionary definition of a Southern gentleman. He just had that smile and just that way of talking about him. And just when you're reading his book, um, he just seems like the quintessential Southern gentleman. He, he was, and you know, my father was like that. I think honestly, man, I mean, I think that was not an uncommon thing back then. You know, I was kind of thinking about that today, and I don't know, maybe because I'm getting older, because obviously when I was younger, I would think it was cool and hip, and, and yeah, stick it to the man. But remember when Tom Arnold put out that sports show? It's called The Best Damn Sports Show Ever. I do recall that. But it, yes. was, it was so shocking that there was a mainstream television show that had a curse word such as damn in the title, because right. we, we used to have a little bit of decorum. <laughs> And nowadays you're riding, riding, driving around, people literally straight up have middle finger stickers on the back of their car windows and just all kinds of profanity. It's like, I get it, freedom of speech. And once again, when I was in my 20, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And I'm an old man now, but I'm just, I'm just thinking, whatever happened, just a little bit of decorum. I mean, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, seems to be going by the wayside. I don't know if it's a good thing. You know, I mean, my, that was one thing that, that, you know, when, when my father wrote with the old breed, I mean, he was, he, he really tried to keep, and, and I mean, he was not one who was shy about cursing, but like the, the four letter words, you know, the vulgar words he tended to avoid. Um, and he kept trying to keep that to a minimum in his book. And I know people like Sid Phillips did the same thing. There've been other Marines who've written memoirs that, that didn't follow that path, but I, I think, so. and I think in the case of that environment, which is why even when they play Band of Brothers or the Pacific on TV, they, or even war movies, they won't censor out the, the curse words, whereas <laughs> they normally would on other shows because of the subject matter and how serious it was. Mm -hmm. And so there's a place for it. And once again, you want to listen to music and all that. It was just kind of, hey, whatever you want to do in your own car, your own house is fine, but when you're just plastering it all over your windows, you know, I'll never forget the, the day my stepmother asked me what the shocker logo meant on the back of someone's car. And that was an uncomfortable conversation to have with a 53 year old woman at the age of 30. But I told her and uh, moved on with my life. But yeah, it's just, a, it's just a little crazy. Um, little show note for the future, February 21st, uh, to be exact, I've reached out to this guy a few times, and he agreed to come on. Um, there's a gentleman who is a West Point graduate. He does a military podcast, and he has over a half a million subscribers on TikTok. His name is Preston Stewart. He has agreed to come on and do the show with us on the 21st. I need to get with you and Jeff maybe to hammer down maybe some topic ideas to, to preload him with. Okay. Um, that way 
you know, because he does full, you know, all military history, but uh, obviously we want to stick to World War II stuff. And um, so I'm excited to have that coming on. And we got another guest. Excellent. Com- we got some more guests coming up. And uh, shout out to Sweden. <laughs> As we've aforementioned, you know, I got a notification from one of these companies who tries to sell you podcast rankings. And so I would assume that the information they give you as a preview is legitimate, but they were telling us that the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast is number 75 in education among Swedes. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, we'll take it. So uh, now I, I don't know if that's 75 among English podcasts in Sweden. I'm sure maybe that mm. might be the difference. But, hey, they didn't mention it, so we won't claim it. We're just going to stick with the, the number 75 mantle. because There you go. That's the way we're going to stick with that. Uh, but, um yeah, if you guys want to email us, send us an email to mailcallwtspworldwar2.com or send us a uh, letter via Facebook. If you guys want some vinyl stickers, I am in the process of cutting some out. Send us an email to info at d hyphen. I'm sorry, mailcallwtspworldwar2.com or info at d hyphen410.com. They'll all get to me. And please, if you're a new listener and you like what you hear up until now and <laughs> you want to support the uh, podcast, do us a huge favor because. We have we do have overhead. It's not huge, but as we said previously, we got to pay for Restream.io. I got to pay for the the phone call that we got coming in, which we don't use the phone app a lot. But as in the case of last week's episode, you know some of our guests aren't technically savvy, so they just say, "Hey, blow us blow a landline phone call in." And so I got to pay for that stuff too. And so we do have a little bit of overhead. So if you guys want to help us out with that. Please head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com, and if you're doing it from a smartphone or a uh, mobile device, you have to scroll all the way to the bottom, and you'll see an orange Patreon link. But if you're on your computer, it should be on the left or right. Or you can just go to Patreon.com and search for Digital 410. But please like, subscribe. It's $1.50 a month for the basic plan, and that goes to help out. If you really, really like us, you can sign up for the $3.50 a month plan, and the $7.50 a month plan will get you a free T-shirt after month two. Whenever we demo new um, mer- merchandise from memorabilia, we send Patreon members get stuff for free. We'll send you some free stickers. If we're trying out some new stuff, we send it to you guys. Every once in a while, I try to get together with any all the uh, cast members on the Digital 410 Network, and we have what we call the OG5 podcast, which I still got to get Jeff and Henry on. But there are some perks from being Patreon members, but it, it really goes to help us get the show going, um, buy new equipment and things like that so please help us out that way and um if you're watching the live stream please subscribe to our youtube channel um we need like 450 more subscribers and you say what for well i'm gonna be honest with you once again going back to supporting the show youtube runs ads on our videos why can't we get a little bit of piece of that advertising revenue, right? So in order to get that piece, we got to get to that thousand marker. And so uh, that's a way you can help support the show without spending any money yourself is just go and like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. Oh, and I would be remiss, even though for some reason they just, this has decided it no longer likes Jeff. We actually have an official What's the Scuttlebutt podcast Instagram page, which Jeff was running and myself, but all of a sudden Instagram has locked Jeff out. Don't know why I've been working on it all day, but please um, head over. If you're on Instagram, just type in WTSP World War II. Uh, for the longest time, it was just part of my personal page, but you know, you guys don't want to see all the dumb stuff I'm into. So now we just have a uh, Instagram page just for WTSP World War II. So go track us down and find us there. Henry, my friend, do you have anything coming up you want to plug, promote, or get out there? Sure. I will be on World War II TV with Paul Woodadge again, first week of February. He wanted to do a show talking about my return to Peleliu back in 1999. So that's going to happen. And as you know, Don, Paul will be our mm-hmm. guest the end of this month or next week. Yeah, next I week. Believe. Yep. So I've got to reach out to him and make sure he's still good to go with that. Uh, he does some great work with World War II TV, has tons of authors and historians on there. Um, Leighton Hughes and I were actually communicating earlier today and we're starting to put together another We Happy Few 506 on the Pacific. Probably going to be late February for that. Um, Leighton and Matt Leach have also put together a We Happy Few 506 podcast. Uh, he's Leighton was saying, Hey man, we want to get you on to be a guest on our podcast at some point. So I said, yeah, sure. Um, so 
that's that's coming up at some point in the near future but uh got an interesting facebook message from a, a gentleman who friend requested me uh and I, I you know when i get a friend request after i post something about world war ii history on on a pacific facebook group or something mm-hmm. i frequently will get friend requests from people and i'm always happy to, to try to respond to those and anyway this particular one i, I accepted it the guy sounds like he's a historian he has a lot of the same friends that i have but uh he sends me this message he said uh hi jim dingman at wbai radio is organizing a zoom symposium on your father's book i'm not sure of the date it's through new york military affairs symposium email jim for details well so i sent this guy a message back and said well i mean are you telling me i'm invited to be on it you know i don't want to just reach out to this guy hey can i come on your zoom meeting exactly (laughs) you know so i'd like to get more info on that i mean hopefully i'll hear back from the gentleman who who proffered that idea to me but i'd be happy to be a part of it give perspective on some things but i'm not just going to ask him you know oh you're doing a zoom symposium on my dad's book let me be a part you know i'm not going to ask that but yeah if they reach out to me, I'd, I'd be happy to, to talk to them. But Yeah, somebody who worked in radio, I would tell you this. They would jump at the chance to get you involved. But once again, you don't want to you don't want to go sailing that. You know, you don't want to go sending that message. It's almost better off if someone makes this. Hey, I'm in contact with Henry. If you're interested, exactly. I can reach yeah. out to him. But no, you definitely wouldn't want to. Henry, can I come on your Zoom thing? So, yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm that. not going to do that. But so, if, I mean, if they reach out to me great if i never hear another word that's fine too i mean I'm, there's other stuff going on but i'm just glad to know there's interest out there absolutely um, you know so yeah man i mean as always i'm happy to be here you and i were we're trying to keep it going tonight just by ourselves it's no, always was... more fun when there's three of us and we have a guest but yeah can't always have guests gotta sometimes get back to the back to the root just us and our yeah. listeners. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know if it's the 108 minutes you and I have been talking or if you're getting better, but either I'm getting used to your bad voice or your bad voice is getting better. So hopefully it's the Man, latter. Does, does my voice sound that bad? No, that's what I'm saying. It was noticeable when we first started, but now that we're 108 minutes into it, I either it's getting better or I'm getting used to it. it, it it's, it's not bad. It's just you could tell at the beginning there was a little bit, you know, your voice is a little under the weather, but. I was just yeah. joking, saying either I'm used to it or it's getting better. Hopefully, the latter. So oh, my wife was telling me how bad I sounded. So you're just a little nasally, but it happens. I mean, I could pull audio clips from when I was doing radio and in there with the flu or sure. in there with my kidney stones suffering through it. It just, <laughs> it just happens. And you know what's interesting though is the longer we do this, um, God willing, we're doing this three years from now and we're super popular and we're pulling a lot of listeners. Yeah. When I pull a clip from the first five or six episodes you're on, you'll like, wow, my voice sounds a lot different or, or the listeners like, wow, your voices have changed. Cause I would produce this radio show and they've been on the same channel for 20 years. And even now, when, now that I've been gone for four years, when they play clips from when I worked there, the sound of their voice compared to what it is now, it's just, it changes so much. And so it'll be interesting a few years from now going back and playing some of these early clips from when you first joined the show, hmm. just the natural changes, not let alone the, the comfort level, but just the, you know, the natural changes as you get older, how the voice changes. It's just, it's one of those weird things. But uh, on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank each and every one of you for hanging out with us for another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, officially episode number 105. I was planning on adding an interview to the end of this, but I will save it for another day because, well, we got plenty of content out there today. But I want to thank Henry for coming out with us. Hopefully uh, you get feel better by next week, and uh, hopefully uh, the stuff that aforementioned Jeff Copsetta has been dealing with get sure get straightened out and we'll all be back and good to go for next week's episode but until then we will talk to you all next week this has been a digital 410 production